I'm so good, and it was so true. Man, the weight of moms can be sometimes so challenging, but so beautiful, all simultaneously rolled together. And so we want to celebrate that today. Now, when I came out earlier, I'm sure the first thing you thought was the 80s called, and Miami Vice would like a shirt back. Or you thought, man, under a black light, that thing's probably pretty epic. But I wanted to wear my happy shirt because today is a happy day. It really is as we celebrate moms. Now, there are a lot of special days, apparently, in the world today. There are 365 special days in the world today. It seems like every day has some special little nuance to it. I was going through things this week, and I learned that on April 23rd, it's International Nose-Picking Day. For some of you, you're like, no, that's every day for me. All right, that's fine. Or September 28th, it's Ask a Stupid Question Day. There's some people in your life you should say, reserve that for September 28th. How about this one, January 1st? You know this one, Polar Bear Plunge Day? How many on the Polar Bear Plunge? Anybody here? I know a few of us in this room do that. That's good. So that's a special day. Uh, How about this one, January 17th? Ditch your New Year's Resolution Day. You don't even make it three weeks, man. January 17th, that's where it's at. How about May 9th, Lost Sock Memorial Day? There were so many good socks in my past. All right, right there. But today, May 14th, shares a special place. Not only is it Mother's Day, but it's also Dance Like a Chicken Day. All right? So for moms, we can just get it on, all right, and just kind of do our chicken dance to celebrate the fact that among all of those days, the best day, one of the best days of the year really is the day where we step back and we say, Mom, we love you. Thank you for being the person that gave me life in this world and raised me to understand the nature, the nuances, and the challenges of life. Because there is to be, there needs to be a day where moms are reminded of how much they are appreciated and loved. And I love moms, right? Because, like, I have a mom, I'm married to a mom, my daughter's a mom, and I have all the versions of a mom. I have, uh, like, an in-law version and a step version and a grandma version and certainly a lot of spiritual moms in my life. And I've learned from all of them different things. I've watched their life. I've watched how they f- face things. I've watched how they navigate the good and the bad. And it's like, I just kind of use that as a tutorial for the stuff of life. Because when I watch moms, I see how challenging everything can be all the time. Not just externally with what they're addressing, but internally what they're facing in their own heart. Because they're constantly thinking and solving and steering and processing and evaluating and reevaluating and second guessing and recalculating all simultaneously. There's just constant processing going on in the mind and the heart of a mom. And so I learned from that. Now, another group I learned from is the first time yet to be mom, right? Because that is in its truest sense, the most idealized form of a mom. It's going to be just like this, and we're going to go just like that, and these are all the principles I'm learning, and I'm reading this blog, and listening to this, you know, like podcast, and I'm ready to go. And then reality hits, right? And the challenges are faced. And, and it's interesting because it's a challenge for both the new mom, and it's also a challenge for the little one that's coming into the world that's going to be connected to that mom. Because what is true for the mother-child relationship is that they are going to be in a symbiotic union. Like once it happens, there is this symbiosis where they're going to be journeying together, they're going to be learning from one another, and they're going to be looking to outside sources to teach them how to kind of do this relational dance. 
Now, for the new mom, she has a lot of resources, right? So books, books and blogs and podcasts and peers that can kind of give some guidance, insight, kind of cry on the shoulder stuff. All of that's going to be in there. For the kid, there's very limited resources on how to navigate a new mom, right? There's just not much there. And as they grow up, there's limited resources for a very long time. At best, they can kind of turn to their friends, but that's the blind leading the blind, right? Peers as kids talking about parental care, like it's gonna be tough. So, so I thought it would be helpful if I kind of got ahead of it a little bit and gave some words of encouragement to all those little ones waiting to be born into the world. This is advice that I came across years ago. I've appreciated, and so this is for all the little ones that need to know some things about how to navigate mom. This is called an ode to mom, also known as Murphy's mom told him so. So it starts off, it says, hey little person, before you go charging out of that womb into this great big wide world, there are a few things you should know about the woman who has been carrying you around for nine months. Your mom will be the greatest gift there has ever been in your life. But there is some fine print. Never tell your mom you have nothing to do. She will find something for you to do. Moms give advice on two occasions, when you ask and when you don't. I know you think, this time she will not check under my bed for what I have hidden there, but insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. When you're broke, Ask your mom for a loan, and she'll tell you all the ways that you spent your money unwisely. If you say, I don't have time to study for the driver's test, just take your mom in the car with you. She'll give you a refresher. How about this? The funnier the joke, the more likely your mom will think it's dirty. And number seven, Murphy, when things kind of fall apart, Murphy has no one to blame but himself for his law, because before he did anything wrong, Murphy's mom told him so. See, this is the beauty of moms. This is the strength of moms. This is the power of moms. And, and, and so today, my heart is hopefully to encourage the moms in this room, the future moms in this room. Encourage people who have moms, connect to moms, know of a mom, how you can be an encouragement to them today. Because you know what? Moms need to be praised. They do, because they don't often hear that. And moms need to be given a sense of hope. And moms need to be reminded that they matter. All the little things that they do matters. And in that, they don't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to be pristine. If anything, all that really is, is needed from a mom is a sense of humility and attentiveness and presence and maybe in that a sense of resilience and consistency, not all of which is easy in a given day. And part of the reason I say this is because I've been in ministry for a long time. And over the course of that time, I've heard many sermons and, and read books and, and heard different anecdotal things, especially in Christian spheres, where, where there is like this added pressure that's applied. Like this expectation on women and moms that you're to be the certain way and do things in a certain context. And, and, and there's all this internal like, oh man, am I gonna do it? Am I gonna measure up? Can I accomplish all the stuff that's expected of a good godly person to do? In fact, even today, there's gonna be pastors all over the country that are gonna turn to a, a section of the Bible, a chapter in the Bible, and, and, and do like a message about the most ideal woman it's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. And it kind of gets set as a benchmark for the ladies of God's people. And here's a, a little chunk of it. 
says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will bring him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then it goes into this list about how she goes to the market, and she sews clothing, and she buys land, and she runs a business, and she kind of cares for the home in every conceivable way. And so it says in verse 25, she's clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without any fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches over everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her, which you're like, that would be so nice. Her husband praises her, and you're like, yeah, I'll take it. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. So this is a great text. It's like, there's a Wonder Woman, right? But can I tell you the, the forgotten thing about that text? Uh, this is a mom talking to her son about the kind of woman he should find, which I think is hilarious. Clearly, she has a very high view of the kind of girl that her, her son should have as a wife someday. So she lays out this super idealized, untouchable vision of a woman. And sometimes women read this and they're like, oh, I'm never going to be a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm like, well, right, because it was Ray Romano's mom across the street that was setting up the pattern Right? For the kind of woman that, you know, his, his her son should have, right? So there is this thing where it's like, man, learn from Proverbs 31. Enjoy Proverbs 31. Take from it ideas that you know you can apply. But man, don't make it like that's the, the standard, the baseline. And if you don't do that, you don't achieve what is intended for your life. In other words, don't let it become a source of discouragement or hardship or added burden that just feels too weighty to bear. Because I find that there is a myth uh, in, in motherhood. And the myth is uh, kind of you know, promoted by social media or by Christian publishing sometimes or just by things you pick up on a Hallmark movie, like whatever it is. Like, again, it's just this perfect little pristine vision that says, you know what? As a mom, you must be able to do everything, be everywhere, control every circumstance, and then when it's hard, you just kind of grit and bear it because that's mommyhood, man. That's just how you do it. But I think that's a myth because the reality is that you can't do everything, be everywhere, control every event. There's going to be things that don't get finished. There's going to be things that don't go right. There's going to be things, frankly, that are so far out of your control that all you can really do is kind of pray. And if you think, well, I just got to kind of grit down and bear it, well, if you do that too much, too long, you're going to be frustrated, depleted, probably even have a sense of feeling isolated. Because there is a lot of weight on moms, some put on by culture, much applied internally with this sense of, I want to be the best mom ever. That is an awesome ambition. We should all be guided by this desire to be the best kind of person we can be, but not so weighty that it takes the joy out of the process, right? Not so weighty that it saps our strength away. Because I get it, there's a lot of expectations in this whole parenthood thing, not just for moms, but parents in general, right? And anytime a little person comes into our life, we feel the weight of expectation. But there's a difference between expectation and reality. Like the expectation is gonna be, uh, when this happens in my life, it's gonna come all so natural, right? It's just natural, motherhood is natural. And then you get into it, and you're like, I feel like I'm way above my pay grade right now. I'm over my head, and I don't know what I'm doing. That's kind of the reality that is faced. Or we think the expectation is, my little one's first words are going to be, mama, mama. And instead, their first words like, cheese, right? Or dog, or no, 
or daddy, right? Or you think, you know what, my kid's always going to look like a baby gap model. I'm going to have them dressed so perfect, and it's always going to be clean, and then you get into it, and it's like this encrusted snot, slight spit up, like vanilla wafer chunks stuck to their shirt. You're like, okay, that's, that's the reality. And then when they become teenagers, oh, when they become teenagers, they're going to be my best friend. We're going to be so tight. And then reality is, you know what? Sometimes you end up at pretty deep odds. Or you think, you know what? When they're teens, we're going to raise them so well when they're young, they're going to hold our values. They're going to keep our vision for life. They're going to keep our faith. And then you realize, no, they have to find their own way. And they may do some things that break your heart. And you think that, no, I'll protect them from being dumb. And then sure enough, you find that, you know what? They have to go explore dumb on their own. And you're sometimes at the mercy of those realities. And then something I've learned even uh, in recent years, I used to think that, man, once they were launched, I no longer felt the burden of parenthood. Right? But here's, here's what I've realized. It's like when they're young, it's physically draining. When they're teenagers, it's emotionally taxing. But when they're adults, there's this silent ache sometimes for a parent because you know the stakes are high and the pain they face is great and there's little you can do to intervene. And so it's like this parenthood gig is overall, it's weighty, right? It is. That's kind of why we wanted to share the video that we did this morning, to acknowledge that fact, to be open about that instead of like, I got to keep up appearances. I got to look like it all got it together. I got to look like the perfect family with the perfect kids and the perfect parenting strategy. None of us have that. And so I think in light of that, kind of begs the question, what's a mom to do? What's a parent to do? What's a grandparent to do? An aunt, an uncle, whatever. What are we to do, right? What should we prioritize? Well, the first thing I would say is don't place perfection on your shoulders. And don't let anybody else do that either. Because as I keep saying, there are no perfect parents. There's no perfect parenting strategy. There's no silver bullet that guarantees, hey, this is how a kid turns out perfect every single time because there are no perfect kids, because there's no perfect parents, because there's no perfect people, except Jesus who guides us. The second thing, and this is an important one, especially as you get down the road of parenting more, don't blame yourself if things don't turn out the way you anticipate. It's so easy to do, to reflect back with, quote, 2020 vision, which, by the way, it won't be 2020, but to reflect back and, like, had we done this? Did we do this? Should I done this more? Should I done that less? Should I put more pressure, less pressure? Was I too hard? Was I too soft? You can crucify yourself, right, looking backwards, but you know what? There's no time machine to go fix it, you know? You can reflect, maybe learn from, but don't beat yourself up over, right? Don't burden yourself with that kind of load. Don't blame yourself for everything if it didn't go as planned. And maybe the third thing in this is that remember, um, as, you, as you raise kids, as you interact with kids, as you continue to interact even with your adult kids, um, your, your mission really, if anything, is more tone setting. Right? Instead of a thousand little rules that you try to apply or keep or know, uh, there's more of this kind of generalized sense that you want to create a space or an environment uh, in which they can enter well and interact with you well and want to come back to, right, when times are good or even when times are difficult. Like, kind of creating that environment, right? 
Because I think when it comes down to it, uh, as, as parents and as families, as friends of families, whatever it is, with people that are growing into life, um, we want to be there to answer life's biggest questions. The biggest questions. And the biggest questions aren't, why is the sky blue? Or are we there yet? Or why does Uncle Phil always smell like cough syrup? Like, those aren't the biggest questions a kid's going to have, right? They're going to ask a lot of questions, trust me, about all kinds of things. I hang out with my three-year-old granddaughter, and she's always like, what's that sound? What's that sound? Every noise that's ever made, what's that sound? What's that noise? What's that sound? Papa, what's that sound? Right? Tons of questions, but those aren't the big questions. In fact, today I'm going to distill down really quick, I think, the three biggest questions every human being asks And so uniquely, every kid in our lives is asking. And the first one is this. Do you see me? As parents, as moms, whatever, these are the questions that we want to be there for because these are the most important questions in their life. And that first one is, do you see me? And it's important because, you know what? Life can be busy, demanding, uh, frantic in the movement of life. And it's there we want to be conscientious enough to slow down enough to realize that this person in our life is saying, do you get me? Do you really understand me? Do you see the inner me, the true me? Right? Because oftentimes growing up, you're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to figure out your identity. It's a bit of a mystery for you too. You're confused as you grow up and you need that anchor in your life that says, you know what, I'm going to try to pry through all of that. I'm going to journey with you and I'm going to see you as you are because that kid is asking themselves, who is the real me inside of me? I'm not even sure. And they, they crave, they need that person that says, you know what, I'm going to stay in the pocket. I'm going to journey with you in this self-discovery because I want to see you. And I think moms are uniquely poised for this. They have a a presence about them that is unique, and so you can be a guide and a guard and a voice of grace in their lives, watching, seeing, oftentimes praying, because it's a mystery that's unfolding. But you're there as a proxy of God to say, I see you. In fact, last Mother's Day, I chose the weirdest story to do for Mother's Day. We did the story of Hagar, which is a really tragic story, right? But it's this particular little section of, of Genesis where uh, Abraham and Sarah can't have a child, so Sarah decides to get her, her maidservant to actually sleep with her husband and, and get pregnant, and so this happens to this poor woman. She doesn't choose to be in this situation. She ends up pregnant, and then she gets kicked out for being pregnant, and she's scared, She's confused, she's on the run, and then God steps in, and he notices her, he assures her, he promises to care for her, and then from that she says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who notices me, my real me, my good and bad me, my insecure me. You you get me, and that's where, again, as, as parents, we get to be that same thing into the lives of kids, of young people. Maybe they're not even your kids. You're kind of that spiritual mother that I talked about earlier. But, but man, you get to be that person that says, I, I care about you so much. I want you to know I see you, and I'm invested into you. That's the first question the kids are asking. The second question, are you listening to me? That's pretty important, too. In fact, it's so big that you know as an adult, you probably ask that of God. God, are you listening to me in my prayer? Are you listening to me, to, to me in my, my pain? Are you listening to me when I'm confused? Well, that's every human and certainly going to be our kids. And this is important because it, it's, it's saying, I care about your inner world. 
Because humans are a deep well, it says in Proverbs, and they have this inner world that's tough to navigate, tough to discern at times, right? And sometimes then for us as parents, it can be tough to slow down enough to really listen. Part of the reason is I think we just get lost in our own stuff, right? We've we got work issues and bills and life and health and insecurities and we're maybe struggling with depression or anxiety or fear. What A bazillion things are in our head. And, and then our kids want to know if they're being listened to. This is why you, you hear mom, 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 mom. And you're like, who's brought the seagulls in the house? Mom, mom, dad, dad, dad. I mean, that's them trying to listen to me. And sometimes we're just so busy, it's hard to do that. And so we have to kind of be, again, conscientious, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop, I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn from you and hear your heart. I think the other thing about this that can be tough sometimes is um, they're, they're, they're wanting us to hear them and listen to them, but, but we're so busy trying to do the next thing, we kind of just shut it down with like a cliche thing. I found that in my own life. It was easier to just be cliche than to really kind of sit up and listen. You know, that was probably one of the failures in my life. So I would just use whatever pat answer had been passed down to me, which was probably passed down, which was passed down, which was passed down, right? And that's pretty natural. So much so that I think we'd recognize it on the spot. For example, let's see if you can fill in the blank. Stop crying or I'll give you something too. Don't put that in your mouth. You don't know where. You barely touched your food. Don't you realize that there are starving children in could also be India, all right. And just wait till your father... Yeah, like, we have all these, like, little cliche things. I can realize that we're all raised by the same parents, right? Like, we all have the same, like, go-to lines, or we know these so well, because it's really easy to just kind of respond with a cliche, to have a back-pocket reply. But what our kids really need is for us to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to listen and I'm not just listening for your words. I'm not just listening for an idea. Again, I'm listening for a heart. I'm listening for their soul and their psyche in the conversation. Right? I'm engaging with it. In fact, it's interesting. The greatest commandment in all the Bible, Jesus pushes it, right? Love God, love your neighbor. But this is how it starts. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. Listen. And so if it's important enough to be a part of the first commandment, it's important enough for us to do because I'm realizing more and more, especially, again, what grandparenthood affords me is um, the, the, the absence of the busy when I was raising my own kids. Like I could, I realized that I was young and dumb in comparison to being older and wiser and I'm slowing everything down to pay attention, right? And, and I'm realizing as I interact with my granddaughter, like listening is a love language, and I think for every kid. And so it doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. That's the brilliant part. We might say to the kid, I don't know. But that's beautiful because we listened. Because they want to know, do you see me? Do you love me? Are you listening to me? And then probably most deeply, the third thing. In light of all of that, will you accept me? And will you keep accepting me? All the time. John chapter 6 Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast them out. See, I, I think this is important uh, because our kids seek and need the same security from us as adults. Because here's what I'm positive of. Our kids, they're going to break our hearts sometimes. 
And they're going to depart, depart from our principles. They might depart from the plans that we had for them. There's going to be times where they disobey. There's going to be times where they speak some pretty hateful words. They're going to act up. They're going to act out. They're going to fall down. They're going to cover things up. They're going to cave in on themselves. There'll be times where they disagree with you. There will be times where they outshine you. Believe it or not, there may even come a time where they move out of the house and leave you. Right? That's what's going to happen. But what they need to know in all of it is, and I still accept you. They so desperately need that. It's so important. In fact, it reminds me of the prodigal son and the prodigal father. Right, where the son comes down the road, he's been just kind of going wild with his life, and before the son ever says to the father, I let you down, I hurt you, I spoke cruel words to you, I'm a disappointment to the family, he doesn't say a word, the father just sees him coming, goes running after him, and embraces him, hugs him, kisses him, and is ready to throw a party in his honor, before the kid has ever said, by the way, I messed up. Now the kid does eventually say that, but the father is just in a dead run to say, I still accept you no matter what. That is probably one of the greatest things we can do is to bring that into a life of a child. So these three things, they don't take a lot of sophistication. Right? I see you, I'm listening to you, and I accept you. See, I think that is the power of grace. Moms, we know that you have given up much to make an investment into people. We know that you give much every single day to make that investment. But I just want to encourage you, every day matters. Every little bit matters. Every challenge you face matters. You're shaping the future. You're unlocking the potential of a soul. And you have this opportunity to show the people of your life, you know what, I'm not perfect, I'm not complete, I don't get it all the time, but I know the grace of God. And I'm going to show that grace to you as we grow in grace together. Nobody expects perfections, perfection from a parent. I certainly hope nobody in this room would ever dare do that. But we all acknowledge the hardship, the challenge, the sometimes suffering, the questioning, um, just the growth that comes in this process. And so right now, I want to invite you, if you have a mom that you are close to relationally next to you this morning to just grab their hand, put your hand on their knee, put your hand on their shoulder, whatever it is, and we're going to pray over the moms this morning, right? We're just going to pray over the moms and, and ask for God's encouragement, joy, and grace um, because, hey, we all need that, but boy, moms, like I said, they carry a load, and they're such a blessing, and they need to know how much a blessing they are of God. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I do um, bring all moms, grandmas, all the load bearers. I find that uh, of the genders, the women are really the load bearers so often in families. And so I pray for a unique measure of your grace and joy. I pray that today is a day of uh, reprieve, right? I, I know that there's gonna be some that are carrying big burdens still. They're gonna leave today carrying big burdens still. I pray that you would ease that burden, that you would carry that burden with them. Because we, we know, Jesus, you said that. You came to do that, to carry burdens with us, to make the burdens a little less heavy than they feel. I pray that you strengthen the moms of our life and that you bless the moms of our life. 
that they know that they are seen by you, heard by you, and that they are accepted by you. May they know the richness of your amazing grace, your unconditional love, and from that, may that pour out in their lives as they face a world that so desperately needs it too. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the moms. We thank you for your grace and your perfect name. Amen.